children are dismissed back to Praise Factory. If you turn in your Bible to Colossians uh, chapter 1, I'm going to start reading um, in, uh, in the, probably verse 5, I think, because uh, I'm going to be jumping in the middle of a sentence. But we're going to read to, uh, to verse 14 this morning, and, uh, and then we'll turn to the, the explanation of, of God's word. Uh, Paul says in Colossians 1, starting in verse 5, he says, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning to open your word. And so as we are opening your word, which you have so graciously given to us, Father, I pray that we would open our hearts to you. There are many habits that we have in which we can say, I'm not the one that you're talking to. Or we can say that applies to this person that I know and not to me. Or I hope so-and-so is listening when this is read or talked about. But Lord, we are the only, I am the only person that I have true control over. And so I pray, Father, as we hear this word from you, that each one of us, Lord, I pray that that, that we would hear truth and that we would be humble and apply that truth to ourselves. Lord, may we look to you as the standard. May we see you as a, a gracious Father who's not sitting back and condemning and complaining and and picking and holding us accountable to an impossible standard, but instead a father who has given us each and everything that we need to succeed and who is cheering us on. And Father, I pray that that our our focus and our attitude would would shift away from self-defense to relationship with you, to connection with you, that we might grow and become who you are calling us to be. Lord, that we might live out the mission that you've given to us, that we might attain the purpose that you've called us to, and that we might live in a way that brings joy to your heart and that displays your love and your care in the world and in your church. Lord, we ask this for our joy, but also for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, one of the, uh, the TV shows that is uh, popular occasionally in, in our house, um, it's, it's, we're, we're not the kind of family that's like, got to be in front of the TV at, at 7 o'clock. You know, I don't think anybody is anymore, really, if you've got streaming, right? You know, uh, occasionally there will be these binges of, of certain shows in our house, right? And one of the ones that's, that's pretty popular is the, uh, it's, it's a meme that has become a TV show. 
You know, it's uh, uh, online. There are all these, this is how you can build something. This is how you can uh, draw something or paint something or cook something, right? And the, the, the thing that has arisen is something called nailed it. Do you know this, right? Where, where somebody, uh, they, they put cake out online and they say, look at this cake that I made, right? And it is absolutely perfect. And then someone tries to make it themselves. And it does not look anything like it. Instead, it looks like an absolute, complete and utter train wreck. The icing is melted and the, the, the design is wrong and the ingredients are toppled over. And they will post the comparison of the two, what the standard was and what they attained. And they will, uh, they will put it up on the internet and they'll say, nailed it. Well, this television show that has arisen out of this is a cooking show where what they do is they, they set this impossible standard. You must make this many... Uh, desserts or dishes or whatever, and, and they say you've got this limited amount of time, you've got to use icing, and it's always like they're trying to put icing on a hot cake because it's not cooled down. It's, it's a show that is designed to, uh, to, to bring these people into this competition uh, with these impossible standards, and, and they're supposed to make these beautiful cakes or desserts, and everything just like melts off of it, you know. It's pretty funny watching them have an absolute crisis. Um, it's obvious how far the distance is, right, from the standard, you know, make this nativity scene with cake pops, right? This, this perfect thing that, that you, could, uh, you, could, you could show to the world and say, look at what I made and be proud of it. And they say, okay, now do this in... 35 minutes, and they, they can't, and it just falls apart, right? And, and uh, the show is, is built on how easy it might look or how awesome this thing looks and how far short the people who are, are, are trying to compete, how far short they fail. Uh, we have to have a standard, right? We have to have standards. You have to have uh, a definition of, of what something that, that's good is. You have, to, you have to say, this is amazing and excellent in order for you to, to try to do something good, right? There have to be standards. But many times when there are Standards when there are there is a definition of what is good and what is right, we then look at that and we see how far short we fall. We look at the righteousness of Christ or the 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 precision of the commands that are listed in the scriptures. Do this, behave this way, and we look at the standard and we look at our behavior and we say, I am a failure. We have a couple of responses, right? We can say, I need to try harder and, and push more and try more and, and, and deal with our own imperfections, right? We can say, nailed it, right? And laugh at our failure. But that makes a mockery of the standard, doesn't it? Or we can turn to the word, we can look to the scriptures and we say, how do we, how do we explain the, the difference between what's held out to us as the, the standard that we're supposed to live up to and the reality of what we live? And we can say, Lord, can you make some sense of this? Can you, can you help me understand how I'm supposed to live when I can't measure up to your standard? How do I, how do, I do that without giving up? How do, I, how do I not turn this into a, a, a constant feeling of, of defeat? How do, I, how do I live this life with joy, understanding that, that I don't nail it each and every day, but that I'm, I'm supposed to try? How do I do that? 
What I find so encouraging about this passage of Scripture is that, is that Paul, who is writing to a church that's dealing with a, a false teaching that's beginning to move in, that is possibly going to infect them. There are signs that there's something wrong. He has a response to them. He's going to tell them, this is how I'm calling you to live. This is what I'm, I'm, I'm laying out as, uh, as, as a plan and a process for you. And he reacts to them in a way that I think is helpful for us. When we, when we look at our life and we say, man, I, I don't measure up perfectly. But also as we look at others, as we look at churches out there who, who may be failing or struggling theologically. Or we look at other people and we say, uh, how, do I, how do I help that person? How do I look at my friend and say, um, you know, how do, I, how do I help them grow in Christ? Paul embraces the, the truth of, of how we're to approach this situation. The first thing that he does in this section of scripture is that he, he points to their, their father in the faith. If you look at verse 7, Paul talks about Epaphras, who had shared the gospel with the Colossians. He probably planted the church there, right? He heard the word of truth from Paul, maybe in Ephesus. He heard the gospel and said, this is amazing. You know, I have never heard this. And, and he, he spent time growing in the truth with Paul. Paul discipled him. And then he went home to his home city and he did what disciples do. He shared the truth with people around him. And suddenly there was a church and it started to grow. And people were putting their, their faith in Christ. So Paul hears about them and writes to them. And, and he wants to encourage them and help them. So what he does is he, he refers to Epaphras. He says that they, they learned the truth from him. He's a faithful minister of, of Christ, and he's the one who's communicated these things to them. And so it's interesting that, that Paul speaks of Epaphras as, in, in, if you look at some other translations, uh, here in this, this translation, he calls him a beloved fellow servant. But over in the uh, New American Standard Version, he calls him a beloved fellow bond servant. Um, the, 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 this has uh, led some people to ask the question of whether or not Paul and Epaphras are prisoners at the same time or whether or not Epaphras is visiting him in prison. Uh, one of the things that I think is interesting is he's, he's probably doing some wordplay here. Right. He's saying, I'm I'm in bondage. I'm chained at this point, jailed. And so I am a prisoner for the Lord. You've heard that uh, referred to in some other passages. If you're if you're familiar with uh, um, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians and Colossians, where, where Paul is in jail, he calls himself a prisoner for the Lord. Epaphras is a is a fellow bond servant. He is he is. A servant of the Lord. He is in servitude to him. But the function of or the, the, the way that his servitude works is not that he's chained unwillingly by Rome. It's that he has willingly chained himself to the Lord. Right? Jesus says that no one can serve two masters. Right? We all serve something. We serve some idea. We serve our family, or we serve our, uh, our occupation, or we serve the cause of our own fame, or our own glory, or our image of who we are. Everybody's got to pick something as their standard or their goal. Paul points out, the way that I've, I've lived my life has landed me in chains. Epaphras is a, is a fellow bondservant. He's, he's like that, but he is faithful to Christ. And so what, what Paul is, is doing here is he's, he's pointing out the similarities between the two of them and introducing, hey, I know Epaphras, and, and, and I want you to know that I, I know him and that he agrees with my teaching and my perspective. But this is going to come up later in terms of, of the standard. Of, of what it is that we're, we're focused on, what it is that we chain ourselves to, what we tie our, our rope to, what we anchor ourselves to. What I find 
so encouraging about this, this section here that we're going to move into, 9 through 14. Actually, 9 through 20 is this giant, long sentence in the original language. There's no, there's no periods, right? It's just, it's just Paul spitting out this long chain of words, right? If you've, if you've gotten a, a degree or you've had to write something uh, for English class, right, your, your teacher might say, separate your thoughts into smaller sections, you know, put periods in there and, and don't use so many commas, right? Uh, a Greek teacher way back then would have said, you're not using enough commas, you know, like add more, longer sentence, more modifiers, more, more, more. This, this, this whole thought just rolls on. It's big. What Paul is going to say, this is, this is what I've been doing for you. And this is how I want to help you nail this thing and not get off track. What Paul does is he says, I know Epaphras and I know what's going on in in your city and I understand who you are and what you're struggling with. And so since I've heard these things, what I've been doing is praying for you. I've I've been praying for you. Sometimes I think that as believers in this, in this culture, we're so action-oriented, we're so resource-focused, we're so change-the-world-focused, our culture is, that when somebody says, hey, I'm going to do something for you, I'm going to help you in the middle of your difficult situation, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, people think, that's not helpful. Can you do something more substantial? Can you do something that will make greater impact? Can you do something that is uh, stronger, more effective? And the correction that comes to us from God's word says, no, you can't. You can't do something more powerful than pray. Now, when you pray for people who are victims of, of horrific weather circumstances, or you pray for people who are encountering loss in their life or who are struggling? Should you do more? Should you do something else? Sure you should. Put, put tangible uh, action behind your prayers, but pray and realize that the giving of, of resources or time, that while those things are good, they're secondary to what's going on in prayer. Prayer is that important. It is, it is that important. Let's, let's talk more about that. This is what Paul says. From the day that we've heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We've not ceased to pray for you. Paul is, is chained to a, a wall And he wants to help the Colossians. And so what he says he's going to do is pray for them. He probably wishes he could go and he could teach. Right? He probably wishes that paper weren't so expensive so he could write such a a much longer letter to them. He probably wishes that he could send them a whole bunch of of different leaders and pastors to to teach in, in, uh, in that city and straighten out what's going on with the church. But what he says is that I'm praying for you. Because prayer is powerful. 2 Corinthians 1.11, Paul speaks to the Corinthians and he says, I want you to help me, right? And he doesn't say, please give. He doesn't say, send workers, right? He doesn't say, come, you know, uh, do this or do that. What he says is, 2 Corinthians 1.11, you also must help us by prayer. You must help us by prayer. Please pray. The instinct in, in terms of our prayer life many times is to ask God to, to smooth out the road before us, right? To arrange our circumstances in, in a way that we would declare as good, right? Lord, I pray that my journey would be safe. 
I pray that, um, that this situation here would work out and nobody would be sick or that uh, I would pass this test or that I would have enough money to pay this bill, right? It, it all is like smooth sailing type prayers, you know? We want, we want our life circumstances to be arranged in such a way that there is no trouble. One pastor says, it so often happens that in prayer, what we are saying is thy will be changed. When what we ought to be saying is thy will be done. We pray and we ask God to intervene and to change, not in order to escape life, right? But in order to have the power and the strength and the ability to engage life and to engage our circumstances and to make a difference in the lives of others. To be able to meet life head on. We don't, we don't pray in order to withdraw ourselves from the reality of life, but in order to live life in this world in the way that we ought to live in the way that Jesus lived. Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully human. And he lived his life as a human being in full dependence on God. Praying and asking his father to empower him and strengthen him and to lead him and to guide him in such a way that he said many times, I only do what I see my father doing. I live my father's will. I came here to do the will of the one who sent me. And he, he then lives out that will in dependence on the Lord. What we need to be focusing on when we pray for ourselves and we pray for others is not our own personal peace and prosperity all the time, but that our lives, that the direction of our lives would be oriented towards where the Lord wants us to go, where he wants to lead us. Sometimes that means we will go through times of, of suffering. That we will have to do difficult things. That we will face uh, uh, suffering and we have to face suffering head on. Because that is how we grow and that is how we, we uh, increase in our ability to depend on the Lord. Our faith grows. You know, the Lord didn't just... Uh, say to David, hey, you know what? We're going to set things up for you real nice. We're going to give you this moment where you're going to impress everybody and you're going to become king, right? And they're going to be so just enamored with you. It's going to be awesome, right? What he did is he put David out in a field and a lion came along to try to take the sheep. And David was like, okay, I'm going to do this in the strength of the Lord. I'm going to fight this lion. And then there was a bear, Right. And he depended on the Lord and he went out and he fought the bear to defend the sheep. Right. You got to fight the lion and you got to fight the bear. If you're going to be able to depend on the Lord and trust by faith that you're going to be able to defeat the giant. You don't just get a giant moment. Right. You need you build up to it. It's just like you shouldn't try to go and do 100 push ups. Right. You know, if you do 10 push ups every day for a week. And then you try to do 20, it'll probably be easier, right? And then you do 20 every day for a week. And then you can do 30 the next week, right? You build up to it. Instead of just, just trying to go out there and do something uh, uh, crazy physically, we, we grow in faith. We grow in our ability to follow the Lord's will. What, what Paul does here is he says, since we've heard about you and your situation, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He doesn't just say, I'm, I'm praying for you in general, like, Lord, bless all the Colossians. You know, make sure that those people in that city, that they're all safe. No, he says, Lord, this is what I want you to do. I'm asking you to fill them and to change them and to transform them. And he's asking for something very specific for them. He's asking that God would give them full and exact knowledge of his desire for them. 
Many times we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, I want to know your will for my life. I want to know what I'm supposed to do in this situation or where I'm supposed to work or who I'm supposed to marry or when I'm supposed to retire or this or that or the other. You know, we want to know specific answers in specific circumstances. And, and we're looking at, at God's will as if it is this, uh, this chain of, of events and choices that somehow if we don't choose the right thing, we're out of God's will. We're somewhere. God's will, I believe, based on what I see in the scriptures, is less of a specific follow this plan, right? It's not connect the dots in perfect order. Do you hand a, a connect the dots puzzle to a toddler, right? And they're like, one, 32, 21. You know, it's not going to look right. That's not the way God's will works. God's will, based on what we see in the scriptures, is that God says, this is how I want you to live. Remain in my will, abide in me, stay close to me, and all things will work out as I have planned them. It's a moral will and less of a specific action will. You must do these things. Because here's, here's what we believe, right? Don't we believe that we can leave behind God's will and go astray, and we can wander in, in our own spiritual blindness, and that at any moment, we can say, what am I doing? And we turn around and we look to the Lord, and we say, Lord, I have wandered from you, I repent, and suddenly we are back in what? God's will, right? We're, we're, we're suddenly back to where we're supposed to be. We draw near to him. He draws near to us. He forgives us. And we're filled with his, his, his grace. And, and we're, we're walking consistently with him again. And he's not like, you know what? You missed all those dots. Let's just crumple you up and throw you away and start over again with somebody else. It's not the way his will works. We're always able to return. As long as we are here and we are, we are breathing, we are always able to repent and to come back to him. He's gracious and kind and loving. God's will and the knowledge of his will refers to uh, the, 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 the fullness of who God is and what he's doing in, in Christ. In, in the city of, of Colossae, what they were doing is they were, they were teaching that there was a knowledge of God that you needed to possess if you wanted to be a real Christian. There was kind of Christians who didn't really know. And then there were like super Christians who had secret Knowledge, And so there were these secret doctrines that they needed to learn and deeper truths and, and, and mastery of certain details. And, and Paul says, no, that's not the case. What you need to start with and focus on in your Christian life is the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to keep your focus there. He is not just the beginning. He is who we depend on and trust in and lay hold of throughout our entire Christian life. And he is the one who is coming for us. He is the one whose image we're being shaped into. It is all about Jesus and what God is doing through him. And not we start with Jesus and then we move on to different secrets. We move on to deeper truths. We understand different things. Now the point is that we look to Jesus, and we see him, and he then is our model and our image for how we're to live in dependence on the Lord. And we say, make me more like that, Lord. Transform me into his image. Change me and shape me. This is one of the reasons why it is important not to look to church culture or contemporary culture or contemporary values or our feelings or our circumstances to try to figure out what God's will is. Because we will have a tendency to conform to those things and not to God's will. God's will is revealed to us in the scriptures. And we see Jesus plainly in the scriptures. We see him revealed as himself and not some interpretation of him. 
I believe if people would look to the word, if they would teach and preach the word, if that's what pastors would do, if people would say, I'm going to filter my thoughts through the word and I'm going to fight to take my, my, my beliefs this is what I think about myself. This is what I think about my, my failure or my success or my attainments. If we would take those ideas and we would line them up with Scripture and compare them with, with Scripture instead of different thoughts, we would be growing in, in maturity in a, in a different way. If we, as a, a church... The, the church of God in the world would focus on what God says about himself in the scriptures and what he says about us in the scriptures. We, we might not be so foolish at times. We might not be embarrassed publicly as much. Now, is that going to happen in the whole church? I don't, I don't think so. But I think as individual Christians, we can say the standard for understanding God's will is the word and not shifting cultural opinions and not what I feel like doing because of my present circumstances or, or what my emotions tell me to do. The will of God is what he's revealed in his word to be correct regarding our faith, what we believe, and regarding our, our behavior, what it is that we do. It is our belief that, that, that saves that opens the door to salvation. The, the Lord has done the work. Christ has gone to the cross for us and taken our, our sins upon himself. He's been resurrected by the Father, and the Father will, will give us the righteousness of Christ if we put our faith and trust in Jesus. That's what we believe. And then we're supposed to live in a way that's consistent with that. Loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourself. That's the, the will of God in the broadest sense, right? I, I think that when we, when we look at the will of God, we ought to think about it as a five-lane highway, right? And the destination is to be like Jesus and to grow into his image and to live in a way that pleases the Lord. And so it's like, hey, look, you want to drive in the fast lane? That's cool. You want to drive in the middle lane? That's cool, too. You want to put the top down, right? You want to enjoy it? That's cool, because we're all headed the same direction, right? We don't all have to do everything exactly the same, but we have to agree on where we're going. Many times in the contemporary church, people will say, hey, what do you think about this subject? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And Internally, I want to answer all the time, but I don't because this is, this is just, it's probably snarky. You know, it's just not productive. Honestly, what I think is irrelevant, right? What I think about things is irrelevant. The way that we ought to give answers when people ask as, as believers, hey, what do you think about this? We ought to say, this is what the word says on the subject, right? This is, this is what, what God thinks. This is what I think is most helpful to understand his perspective. And then we can say, but you know what? When, when I think about this area here or there, this is, this is what I think. We live in a day and age where you can find a pastor or a teacher or an author or a book where they believe anything about anything. If, if, you, if what you want is to hear what you want to hear, you can find that. Do you know, I, I was, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was just looking around and I ran across this website. There's a chocolatier in England and they make all kinds of, of uh, chocolate bars. Now, are you going to really compete with, you know, Hershey's? For the, for the market here? No, if you're just trying to make chocolate, like they, they've, got a, they've got a lock on it, right? You know, they're the ones selling all the chocolate. But you can buy chocolate bars from this place that have coffee beans in them, that have ramen noodles in them, that have Cheerios in them, that have Pop Rocks in them. Pop Rocks, like how do you put a Pop Rock into a chocolate bar and it not pop? Right? Like, that's what I'm thinking. They got to like coat them with something, I think, like, so that they don't explode. But man, so if you're looking for chocolate, you go to Hershey's. If you're looking for something weird, you go over here. 
right? They have a chocolate bar that's got Cheerios in it and that's got bacon and bits of toast in it. That's the breakfast chocolate bar. I was really hoping they had something with eggs and hash browns in it, but they don't. If you're going to go shopping for something strange, you're going to find it. You're going to, you're going to find it because, because that's the world that we live in. The much harder thing, the much difficult thing, I think, is to constantly, continuously say no, no, no to all the cultural pressure that comes on Christians, whether it's internally from the church trying to maintain uh, bad practices or, or, or old cultural standards that are irrelevant to the mission, right? That there are things that press in on the church from all different directions. And what we need to say is, what is God's will now, today, for our lives? This is, this is important. Not exactly sure who said this because I didn't include the, the reference, but this pastor said, a theist, for a theist who believes that God's active purpose determines the whole order of the world, for, for a Christian who believes that, that God is in control of everything, that, that he knows how many sparrows are alive and that he knows the hairs on our head, for a theist who believes that, that God's active purpose determines the ordering of the world, and that that lies behind the events on earth and shapes their consequences. One of the most important goals in our life ought to be to know God's will. It ought to be to know God's will, right? If, if we believe that God shapes everything and controls everything, then, then we ought to say, hey, we're going to line up with the way that you're calling us to live. We want to we live the way that, that you want us to live. Paul points out that this doesn't just happen naturally. We need to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That it's going to come from the Lord. That as we read the word, the spirit is going to speak to us and to teach us. He is the one who's going to convict and he is the one who is going to shape. And so what, what, what Paul is, is pointing out here is, is that, uh, that, that, that the Lord is the one who's going to do the work. We have an incredibly difficult task today in our culture. Uh, there are two groups of Christians out there who I think are getting it wrong. Uh, one of them is the extremely mean, truth-oriented people, right? They're, they're, you, you've met them, right? They've, they love the truth, supposedly, but they're extremely mean, Right? The way that they present themselves and come off, you're like, you believe that God's a loving God, right? And they're like, absolutely I do. And that's why I think he's mad at all these people. <laughs> then on the other side, there's the extremely smushy grace people who you're like, well, somebody probably ought to say something about that, right? Or talk to them about this behavior. Or so we, ought to, we ought to maybe say, hey, this isn't good. This is bad about our culture. No, God's all about forgiveness and grace, and it's all. It's like those two things need to be combined grace and truth. The scriptures say that, that grace and truth, that Jesus embodied both of those things, that he lived them out perfectly. Now, that's a difficult task to live things out perfectly. But here's the good news. The standard that Paul sets out for the Christian life is not that we go out there and live it perfectly. It's that we are growing. It's that we are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. That we are uh, bearing fruit and being strengthened and giving thanks. Not, not that we're going we're gonna to nail it. And, and when we come to the Lord, we're like, I repent of everything bad that I've, I've ever done. And I'm never going to do anything bad again. Because we're going to fail. If that's the standard, the standard is to live and to walk with him in faithfulness. And so 
there's an answer for the extremely mean, truth-oriented people. And there's an answer for the extremely smushy, grace-oriented people, right? There's an answer for every false teaching and every negative tendency that comes into the church or into the lives of individual believers. The true antidote to every false teaching in every wrong way is a deeper and richer knowledge of the truth concerning Jesus. That's the answer, is to grow more and more like him. The goal of the Christian life isn't that God would make us comfortable, and it's not that he would reshape our culture in such a way that being a Christian is a cool thing to be, right? It's that God would transform and change the way that we depend on him and the way that we conduct ourselves in the world. The goal of understanding God's will is that we're able to live each day in a manner that glorifies and pleases the Lord. It says that that we're to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. That That we're to walk in a way that that says this person respects and honors the Lord. Here's here's the good news. When we we agree with the Lord and we say, yes, that's what I want. I want to walk in a way that's, that's worthy of you. And I want to be fully pleasing to you, right? Immediately, I think if if your conscience is tender, right, and you're like, I want to serve the Lord, there's this conviction of guilt. Like, how do I live fully pleasing to you? How do I do that? We, we suddenly think, like, i got to be perfect. But we can't be perfect. God has given perfection to us in Christ. He lived a perfect life for us so that when we deviate from the standard, we can receive forgiveness and grace. And so we need to live in this, in this way that, that says, oh, okay, am I wandering off the path? I'll get back on the path. Okay, if I made a wrong turn, I'll get back. I'll, I'll, I'll reorient myself constantly. It's probably a good thing that I don't look at my GPS while I'm driving, right? We, we, you, may, you may look at your phone occasionally while you're driving. It's bad. We all agree that, right? But... I, I will hear the computer say, um, make a turn on this road in a quarter of a mile. And I'm like, all right, where is that road? Oh, there it is. And I turn right, right? And then it's like recalculating. I turn too soon, you know? So now it's like make a left and I make a left and it's like recalculating. I do this all the time. I don't know how I ever get anywhere. I don't know how to get anywhere anymore. But like, so I'll leave and I'll, I'll head out and I'm like, okay, I got to run up to the school and pick up this kid, you know, and I get on Route 50 and it's like recalculating and then it takes like 20 more minutes to get there. How do I get anywhere with that GPS, right? But here's, here's the good news. When we are seeking to live the Christian life, right, and we step out of line and we head in the wrong direction and we make a wrong turn or, or we don't do the exact right thing. It's not like this is where the road ends and a giant pit opens up and you fall into utter, complete condemnation for all eternity, right? The GPS never says to you, give up. <laughs> you failed. You're the worst navigator ever. No, it's just like recalculating. Make a U-turn. Make an, I was with this group of guys. We were all the way up in Delaware. We were going to hear this preaching conference, right? And I missed the turn three times, and it kept on saying, make a U-turn. Everybody in the back, they're shouting, like, go here, turn there, you know? And I'm like, the GPS is saying this, you know? We got there eventually, but it's just fail after fail after fail. We're to, we're to live out God's will for us, which is that we depend on him. Look at, look at what it says here, that we're to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. The scriptures say that David was a man after God's own heart, right? 
And yet this is not a guy who is completely and utterly morally pure and perfect. There, there were moments where he demonstrated incredible dependence and faith upon the Lord. We see this in his fight against Goliath. We see this in his decision not to kill Saul, not once but twice. But even in those moments, his worst sin was ahead of him. And still, several hundred years later, describing him in the book of Acts, Stephen will call him a man after God's own heart. Why? Even when he failed and he sinned, he repented and depended on the Lord. And so was fully pleasing to him. Now I want to walk very quickly in the last moments that we have. I want to, I want to talk about um, the, uh, the, the, some steps to a worthy walk. Paul points out four distinct characteristics of, of a worthy walk here. The first one is, is that there be a continuous bearing of fruit. That we, we walk in a, in a way that's pleasing to him. That's, that's verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Immediately, right, this is what happens to me. Am I bearing enough fruit? I think, like, am I doing enough? That's not the point. The point is, do your actions tend to result in good? Are they consistent with what the Lord's will is? If so then fruit will eventually grow. Bearing fruit is the first characteristic. Second, uh, uh, a worthy walk includes growing, increasing in the knowledge of the Lord. Are we, are we saying, okay, you know, these are areas in which I still don't understand certain things, or these are areas where I need continuous challenge, I need continuous shaping. Have you ever had this experience where, where you... you uh, you hear the truth of the gospel. You hear that you are accepted and loved in Christ and on Sunday. And then, like, by Monday morning at 8 a.m., you're like, why am I not perfect? Here I am failing again. The Lord is, is judging me. No, we need to constantly remind ourselves of certain truths and, and continue to lay hold of them and use them. We, we increase in our knowledge of the Lord's will and the way we laid hold of it. Which is the third thing. This talks about uh, gaining strength. Paul says that we're to, to be strengthened with all power. We're to be steadfast, which is to endure under trial. We get frustrated because we lack the ability to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Right? The primary feeling, I think, of being strong in the Lord and the strength of his might is feeling weak. Right? Because we're supposed to be filled with his strength and his might, which means that we need to feel weak so that we can say, Lord, help me change this behavior, resist this temptation, not send this nasty email, you know, like not react negatively. Help me, empower me. And the Lord comes through and we have lived out his will and we have grown in strength independence. The Lord is the one who's strong and we're to depend on him. Fourth, in the middle of all of this, we're to express gratitude to God. We give thanks to the Father consistently. Uh, there's a kind of embracing life that endures but isn't happy about it, right? It's faithful, but it's like 85% faithful. We're, we're supposed to see difficulty as leading to maturity, uh, these things are difficult. They're, they're, they're hard to hear because what we do is, is we say, okay, these are supposed to be the characteristics of my life. God's, God's will for me, Paul's prayer for me, is that I grow in the knowledge of him, that I, that I be filled with this wisdom. When we're filled with wisdom of, of what the Lord wants for us, we realize how far short we fall of the standard, Right? So, so the natural result of the prayer is that, is that we're like, I can't live up to this. And then we hear all these things, that we're to be bearing fruit, and we say, I'm not doing that enough. Or uh, that we're to be growing, I'm not doing that enough. That I'm supposed to be strengthened with power, I'm not strong enough. I'm supposed to give thanks, I'm not doing that enough. The point is not that we live out the standard perfectly. 
Because Jesus did that for us. The point is, as we pray for ourselves and we pray for others that we be filled, it's that we will see some progress, that we will see some growth, that we will see change and transformation. And listen, change and transformation doesn't happen overnight. Months ago, the farmers were out there plowing the fields, right? Getting everything right and throwing seeds everywhere. Throwing fertilizer on top of it, right? And we saw them doing it, driving past the, uh, the fields and all the equipment moving all around the, the fields, you know, and there are, there are days when I'm driving and the farmers are out in the fields and there's like dirt dust everywhere on the road and you can't even see. You know, they're out there working, Right? And now, months later, you drive by the the fields and it's like, oh, look, there's corn everywhere. Where did that come from? It just kind of grew, right? You didn't notice it at first. It just grows up. That's the work of the Spirit in our lives, transforming us into the image of Christ. He changes us over time. We will look back and we will see transformation. But in the present, we will often be incredibly dissatisfied. But we look to our Father who's pleased with us and who loves us. And we look to Jesus who who fills every lack. And we say, I will remain and I will persevere and I will press forward and I will depend on the Lord and trust in him and trust that he will change me and transform me. Growth is God's will for every believer. And we ought to pray it for ourselves, pray it for our church, Pray it for each other that we transform and grow into the image of Christ. Let's pray as we close. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to to share this word. It, It would be so awesome just to be able to stand up and to say, do this one thing and your whole life will be different. That it will be easy that it will not require endurance, that it won't require dependence, that that there won't be any challenges. But Lord, that's not the way you've designed the world. You've made the world in such a way that, that growth takes time. Lord, we thank you that you've given us a standard. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who, who lived in complete and utter dependence on your will and who lived it out perfectly for us that we might be saved. We thank you that you call us to put our faith and trust in you and to depend on you, Lord, that that we grow in our ability to bear fruit, that we persevere, that we demonstrate greater degrees of dependence, and that we give thanks. The most dangerous thing is that we say, I have nailed this. And then go on to live a life that is not cautious or humble or dependent. And so, Lord, we pray for this balance to enter our lives. That we would look to Jesus, the standard, and we would look towards your grace. And we would live in it yet. And at the same time, we would have high standards for our behavior and yet not despair. Lord, fill us with the knowledge of of how to do that. And by the power of the Spirit, fill us with the ability to do that, we pray. We thank you for Jesus, who gives us all that we need. We pray that you would help us to grow into his image. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together.